0: Hey, Allie. The first offering to the podcast that I have chosen is a short story by Edgar Allan Poe called William Wilson. I've never read it before, but I thought it'd be fun to kind of discover it together. I, From what I can tell, it seems pretty dramatic, so um, we'll see how it is. Um, but this is William Wilson by Edgar Allan Poe. Let me call myself, for the present, William Wilson. The fair page now lying before me need not be sullied with my real appellation. This has been already too much an object for the scorn, for the horror, for the detestation of my race. To the uttermost regions of the globe have not the indignant winds brooded its unparalleled infamy? O outcast of all outcasts most abandoned, to the earth art thou not forever dead? To its honors, to its flowers, to its golden aspirations— And a cloud, dense, dismal, and limitless, does it not hang eternally between thy hopes and heaven? I would not, if I could, here or today embody a record of my later years of unspeakable misery and unparalleled crime. This epoch, these later years, took unto themselves a sudden elevation into turpitude, whose origin alone it is my present purpose to assign. Men usually grow base by degrees. For me, in an instant, all virtue dropped bodily as a mantle. From comparatively trivial wickedness, I passed, with the stride of a giant, into more than the enormities of an... Elagabalus. That's capitalized, I don't know what that is. What chance, what one event brought this evil thing to pass, bear with me while I relate. Death approaches, and the shadow that foreruns him has thrown a softening influence over my spirit. I long, in passing through the dim valley, for the sympathy... I had nearly said for the pity of my fellow man. I would fain have them believe that I have been, in some measure, the slave of circumstances beyond human control. I would wish them to seek out for me in the details I am about to give some little oasis of fatality amid a wilderness of error. I would have them allow, what they cannot refrain from allowing, that, although temptation may have erewhile existed as great, Man was never thus, at least, tempted before, certainly never thus fell. And is it, therefore, that he has never thus suffered? Have I not indeed been living in a dream? And am I not now dying a victim to the horror and the mystery of the wildest of all subliminary visions? I am the descendant of a race whose imaginative and easily excitable temperament has at all times rendered them remarkable, and, in my earliest infancy, I gave evidence of having fully inherited the family character. As I advanced in years, I was more strongly developed, becoming, for many reasons, a cause of serious disquietude to my friends and of positive injury to myself. I grew self-willed, addicted to the wildest caprices, and a prey to the most ungovernable passions. Weak-minded and beset with constitutional infirmities akin to my own, My parents could do but little to check the evil propensities which distinguished me. Some feeble and ill-directed efforts resulted in complete failure on their part, and, of course, in total triumph on mine. Thenceforth, my voice was a household law, and at at an age when few uh, few children have abandoned their leading strings, I was left to the guidance of my own will, and became, in all but name, the master of my own actions. My earliest recollections of a school life are connected with a large, rambling Elizabethan house in a misty-looking village of England, where were a vast number of gigantic and gnarled trees, and where all the houses were excessively ancient. In truth, it was a dreamlike and spirit-soothing place, that venerable old town. At this moment, in fancy, I feel the refreshing chilliness of its deeply shadowed avenues, inhale the fragrance of its thousand shrubberies, and thrill anew with undefinable delight at the deep hollow note of the church bell, breaking each hour with sullen and sudden roar upon the stillness of the dusky atmosphere in which the fretted Gothic steeple lay embedded and asleep. It gives me, perhaps, as much of pleasure as I can now in any manner experience to dwell upon minute recollections of the school and its concerns. Steeped in misery as I am, misery less, only too real, I shall be pardoned for seeking relief, however slight and temporary, in the weakness of a few rambling details. These, moreover moreover utterly trivial and even ridiculous in themselves, assume to my fancy a ventious importance as connected with a period and a locality when and where I recognize the first ambiguous monitions of the destiny that afterwards so fully overshadowed me. Let me then remember." The house, I have said, was old and irregular. The grounds were extensive, and a high and solid brick wall, topped with a bed of mortar and broken glass, encompassed the whole. This prison-like rampart formed the limit of our domain. Beyond it, we saw but thrice a week. Once every Saturday afternoon, when, attended by two ushers, we were permitted to take brief walks in a body through some of the neighboring fields and twice during Sunday, when we were paraded in the same formal manner to the morning and evening service in the one church of the village. Of this church the principal of our school was pastor. With how deep a spirit of wonder and perplexity was I wont to regard him from a remote pew in the gallery, as, with step solemn and slow, he descended the pulpit. This reverend man, with countenance so demurely benign, with robes so glossy and so clerically flowing, with wigs so minutely powdered, so rigid and so vast, could this be he who, of late, with sour visage and in snuffy habil- habiliments, administered ferule in hand the draconian laws of the academy, o oh, gigantic paradox too utterly monstrous for solution on any angle of the ponderous wall, frowned a more ponderous gate. It was riveted and studded with iron bolts and surmounted with jagged iron spikes. What impressions deep awe did inspire? Did it inspire? It was never opened save for the three per- 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 <laughs> periodical aggressions and ingressions already mentioned. Then, in every creak of its mighty hinges, we found a plenitude of mystery, a world of matter for solemn remarks or for more solemn meditation. The extensive enclosure was irregular in form, having many capacious recesses. Of these, three or four of the largest constituted the playground. It was level and covered with fine hard gravel. I well remember it had no trees, nor benches, nor anything similar within it. Of course, it was in the rear of the house. In front lay a small parterre planted in box and other shrubs, but through... This sacred division we passed only upon rare occasions indeed, such as a first advent to school or final departure thence, or perhaps when a parent or friend, having called for us, we joyfully took our way home for the Christmas or Midsummer holidays. But the house, how quaint an old building was it! To me, how veritably a palace of enchantment! There was really no end to its windings, to its incomprehensible subdivisions. It was difficult, in any given time, to say with certainty upon which of its two stories one happened to be. From each room to every other, there were were sure to be found three or four steps, either in ascent or descent. Then the lateral branches were innumerable, inconceivable, and so returning in upon themselves that our most exact ideas in regard to the whole mansion were not very far different from those with which we pondered upon infinity." During the five years of my residence there, I was never able to ascertain with precision in what remote locality lay the little sleeping apartment assigned to myself and some 18 or 20 other scholars. The schoolroom was the largest in the house. I could not help thinking in the world. It was very long, narrow, and dismally low, with pointed Gothic windows and a ceiling of oak. In a remote and terror-inspiring angle was a square enclosure of 8 or 10 feet, comprising the sanctum during hours, of our principal, the Reverend Dr. Bransby. It was a solid structure, with massive door, sooner than open, which, in the absence of the Dominique, we would all have willingly perished, but the pain de fort de dur, dur I don't know. In other angles were two other similar boxes, far less reverenced indeed, but still greatly matters of all. One of these was the pulpit of the classical usher, one of the English and mathematical. Interspersed through about the room, crossing and recrossing in endless irregularity, were innumerable benches and desks, black, ancient, and time-worn, piled desperately with much be thumbed books, and so beseemed with initial letters, names at full length, grotesque figures, and other multiplied efforts of the knife, as to have entirely lost what little of original form might have been there, portion in days long departed. A huge bucket with water stood at one extremity of the room, and a clock of stupendous dimensions at the other. Encompassed by the massy walls of this venerable academy, I passed, yet not in tedium or disgust, the years of the third lustrum of my life. The teeming brain of childhood requires no external world of incident to occupy or amuse it and the apparently dismal monotony of a school was replete with more intense excitement than my riper youth has derived from luxury or my full manu- manhood from crime. Yet I must believe that my first mental development had in it much of the uncommon, even much of the ultra, uh, yeah. Upon mankind at large, the events of very early existence rarely leave in mature age any defi- definite impression. All is gray shadow, a weak and irregular rem- remembrance, an indistinct regathering of feeble pleasures and phantasmagoric pains. With me, this is not so. In childhood, I must have felt with the energy of a man what I now find stamped upon memory in lines as vivid, as deep, and as durable as the exergues of the Catharginian medals. Yet in fact, in the fact of the world's view, how little was there to remember. The morning's awakening, the nightly summons to bed, the connings, the recitations, the periodical half-holidays and perambulations, the playground with its broils, its pastimes, its intrigues, these, by a mental sorcery long forgotten, were made to involve a wilderness of sensation, a world of rich incident, a universe of varied emotion, of excitement the most Passionate and spirit-stirring. Here comes some French. Oh, le bon temps. que c'est si de faire? Yeah. In truth, the ardor, the enthusiasm, and the imperiousness of my dispositions soon rendered me a marked character among my schoolmates, and by slow but natural gradations gave me an ascendancy over all but not greatly older than myself, over all with a single exception. This exception was found in the person of a scholar who, although no relation, bore the same Christian and surname as myself, a circumstance in fact little remarkable, for, notwithstanding a noble descent, mine was one of those everyday appellations that seem, by prescriptive right, to have been, time out of mind, the common property of the mob. In this narrative, I have therefore designated myself as William Wilson, a fictitious title not very dissimilar to the real. My namesake alone, for those who in school phraseology constituted our set, presumed to compete with me in the studies of the class, in the sports and broils of the playground, to refuse implicit belief in my assertions and submission to my will, indeed to interfere with my arbitrary dictions in any respect whatsoever. If there is on earth a supreme and unqualified despotism, it is the despotism of a master mind in boyhood over the less energetic spirits of its companions. Wilson's rebellion was to me a source of the greatest embarrassment. Or more so as, in spite of the bravado with which in public I made a point of treating him and his pretensions, I secretly felt that I feared him, and could not help thinking the the equality that he maintained so easily with myself a proof of his true Superiority, since not to be overcome cost me a perpetual struggle. Yet this superiority, even this equality, was in truth acknowledged by no one but myself. Our associates, by some unaccountable uncounta- un- blindness, seemed not even to suspect it. Indeed, his com- competition, his resistance, and his especially and especially his impertinent and dogged interference with my purposes were not more pointed than private. He appeared to be destitute alike of the ambition that urged, and of the passionate energy of mind that enabled me to excel. In his rivalry, he might have been supposed acutely, uh, actuate, uh, I don't know, solely by his whimsical desire to thwart, astonish, or mortify myself, although there were times when I could not help observing, with a feeling made up of wonder, abasement, and pique, that he... Mingled with his injuries, his insults, or his contradictions, a certain most inappropriate and assuredly most unwelcome affectionateness of manner. I could only conceive this singular behaviour to arise from a consummate self-conceit as- assuming the vulgar airs of patronage and protection. perhaps perhaps it was this latter trait in Wilson's conduct conjoined with our identity of name and the mere accident of our having entered the school upon the same day, which set afloat the notion that we were brothers among the senior classes in the academy. These do not usually inquire with much strictness into the affairs of their juniors. I have before said, or should have said, that Wilson was not, in the most remote degree, connected with my family. But assuredly, if we had been brothers, we must have been twins, for after leaving Er Mr.— Uh, Dr. Bransby's I casually learned that my namesake was born on the 19th of January 1813 And this is a somewhat remarkable coincidence for the day is precisely that of my own nativity It may seem strange that in spite of the continual anxiety Occasioned me by the rivalry of Wilson and his intolerable spirit of contradiction. I could not bring myself to hate him altogether we had to be sure nearly every day a quarrel in, in which Yielding me publicly the palm of victory, he, in some manner, contrived to make me feel that it was he who had deserved it. Yet a sense of pride on my part, and a veritable dignity on his, kept us always upon what we called speaking terms, while there were many points of strong congeniality in our tempers operating to awake me in the sentiment of our position alone, perhaps prevented from ripening into friendship." It is difficult, indeed, to define or even to describe my real feelings toward him. They formed a motley and heterogeneous admixture: some petulant animosity, which was not yet hatred, some esteem, more, res- more respect, much fear, with a world of uneasy curiosity. To the moralist, it would be unnecessary to say, in addition, that Wilson and myself were the most inseparable of companions. It was no doubt the an- anomalous state of affairs existing between us that turned all my attacks upon him, and they were many, either open or covert, into the channel of banter or practical joke, giving pain while assuming the aspect of mere fun, rather than into a more serious and determined hostility. But my endeavors on this head were by no means uniformly successful, even when my plans were the most wittily concocted, for my namesake had much about him, and character of that unassuming and quiet austerity that, while enjoying the poignancy of its own jokes, has no heel of Achilles in itself, and absolutely refuses to be laughed at. I could find, indeed, but one venerable point, and that, lying in a personal peculiarity, arising perhaps from constitutional disease, would have been spared by an antagonist less at his wit's end than myself. My rival had a weakness in the focal or guttural organs, which precluded him from raising his voice at any time above a very low whisper. Of this defect, I did not fall to take what poor advantage lay in my power. Wilson's retaliations in kind were many, and there was one form of his practical wit that disturbed me beyond measure. How his sagacity first discovered all that, uh, at all that so petty a thing would vex me is a question I never could solve. But, having discovered, he habitually practiced the annoyance. I have always felt aversion to my uncourtly patronymic, and it's very common, if not plebeian, praenomen. The words were venom in my ears, and when, upon the day of my arrival, a second William Wilson came also to the academy, I felt angry with him for bearing the name, and doubly disgusted with the name because a stranger bore it who would be the cause of its twofold repetition, who would be constantly in my presence, and whose concerns in the ordinary routine of the school business must inevitably, on account of the detestable coincidence, be often confounded with my own. The feeling of vexation thus endangered grew stronger with every circumstance tending to show resemblance, moral or physical, between my rival and myself. I had not then discovered the remarkable fact that we were of the same age, but I saw that we were of the same height, and I perceived that we were even singularly alike in general contour of person and outline of feature. I was galled, too, by the rumor touching a relationship which had grown current in the upper forms. In a word, nothing could more seriously disturb me, although I scrupulously concealed such disturbance, than any allusion to a similarity of mind, person, or condition existing between us. But, in truth, I had no reason to believe that, with the exception of the matter of relationship, and in the case of Wilson himself, this similarity had ever been made a subject of comment, or even observed at all by our school fellows. That he observed in it all its bearings, and as fixedly as I was apparent, but that he could discover in some circumstances so fruitful a field of annoyance, can only be attributed, as I said before, to his more than ordinary penitence. Penetration. His cue, which was to perfect an imitation of myself, lay both in words and in actions, and most admirably did he play his part. My dress it was an easy ma- matter to copy. My gait and general manor- manner were, without difficulty, appropriated. In spite of his constitutional defect, even my voice did not escape him. My louder tones were, of course, unattempted, but then the key, it was identical, and his Singular whisper, it grew the very echo of my own. How greatly this most exquisite portraiture harassed me, for it could not justly be termed a caricature, I will not now venture to describe. I had but one consolation, in the fact that the imitation, apparently, was noticed by myself alone, and that I had to endure only the knowing and strangely sarcastic smiles of my namesake himself. Satisfied with having produced in my bosom the intended effect He seemed to chuckle in secret over the sting he had inflicted, and was characteristically disregardful of the public applause that the success of his witty endeavors might have so easily elicited. That the school indeed did not feel his design, perceive its accomplishments, and participate in his sneer, was, for many anxious months, a riddle I could not solve. Perhaps the gradation of his copy rendered it not so readily perceptible, or, more possibly, I owed my security to the master heir of the copyist, who, disdaining the letter, which in a painting is all the obtuse can see, gave but the full spirit of his original for my individual contemplation and chagrin. I have already more than once spoken of the disgusting air of patronage that he assumed toward me, and of his frequent officious interference with my will. This interference often took the ungracious character of advice, advice not openly given, but hinted or insinuated. I received it with the repugnance that gained strength as I grew in years. Yet, at this distant day, let me do him the simple justice to acknowledge that I can recall no occasion when these suggestions of my rival were on the side of those errors or follies so unusual to his immature age and seeming inexperience. that his moral sense, at least, if not his general talents and worldly wisdom, was far keener than my own and that I might, today, have been a better and thus a happier man had I less frequently rejected the counsels embodied in those meaning whispers that I then but too cordially hated and too bitterly despised. As it was, I at length grew restive in the extreme under his distasteful supervision, and daily resented more and more openly what I considered his intolerable arrogance. I have said that, in the first years of our connection as schoolmates, my feelings in regard to him might have been easily ripened into friendship— But in the latter months of my residence at the academy, although the intrusion of his ordinary manner had, beyond doubt, in some measure abated, my sentiments, in nearly similar proportion, partook very much of positive hatred. Upon one occasion he saw this, I think, and afterwards avoided, or made a show of avoiding me.